Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Medic Filter. Sit back, relax, and join me, Pre, and my buddy Sunny as we break down self-actualization, self-improvement, and what it means to be more than a medic. Let's jump into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Medic Filter. Today's a really exciting episode because we'll be discussing all things mental health and we've got a special guest on the show today. So today we've got Lyndon Scholes. Lyndon's a first year trainee with the Royal Australian College of Psychiatrists. He completed his medical school degree at UTAS, including an honours project. And in his spare time, he likes painting and music. So, hey, Lyndon, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. No, thanks for being on the show, Lyndon. Yeah. And so I guess today what we kind of wanted to run through was, you know, our experience with mental health and well-being uh, as medical students, but also, Lyndon, your experience in medical school, and then also run through, you know, how your life as a junior doctor has been. And I hope that really sheds light into our listeners who are either in medical school or want to get into medical school and want to know what life is like as a junior doctor um, working in terms of mental health and well-being. And I guess I wanted to, uh, me and Sunny wanted to run through also a few key things that we can take away in our lives that we can adopt to improve our mental health and well-being. So, Lyndon, yeah, we'll get it started, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, on your on your end, Lyndon, um, well, firstly, what are what are the some what what's your life like as a as a junior doctor? I think that's one of the most enigmatic things. Being a med student, we're always looking at busy uh, junior doctors and regs running around. They look like they know everything, and we think ah, we're ever going to get to that level. And I think one of the most enigmatic things is what is it really like being this kind of young doctor? Good question. Uh, so. I think, look, I, I, I first of all can say I totally remember um, uh, being where you're, where you guys both are, and 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 when wondering what it what it is like, and you know, you're watching these TV shows, and then you're seeing people in hospital, and you think, you, 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 yeah, you're wondering what is what's the sort of what kind of stresses are there? How do people do it? Um, I guess the the kind of the um, overarching kind of theme, I guess I'd like to say, is that it's uh, it's 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 not as bad as it looks. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> no, I, I like to tell you know uh, students of mine that I have or people that I hang out with is that you know I, I I do honestly believe that you know the the the, the preclinical years of study are really the hardest, and it, it does get it just, it gets easier progressively easier. Um, you know, a way to think about it kind of is like if you're you know learning to drive your car, and initially you're concentrating on how to you know change gears and indicate and look left and right and use your mirrors. But once you sort of start driving more, you're really not really conscious of it. And so you, you're not even, and you're still able to think about your day whilst you're driving. Similar thing, you stop thinking about what your cardio exam's like. You stop thinking about, okay, what tests do I need to, you know, do for this particular condition without even trying, without, you know, just sort of you're doing it so often 
the, 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 a lot of the kind of the, uh, the basic stuff kind of just sort of becomes a bit automatic. So, so I guess I'd say that in terms of like, if you, you, you're looking at a lot of the junior doctors, you're like, oh my gosh, they're like doing all these things. And you look at the regs and like, how can they be thinking outside the box so much? Mm. And so I guess I'd just say that, that it's, you know, it's, it's all right. It's going to get better. It gets better each year. Yeah, I've actually heard this quite a lot with a lot of junior doctors. Um, and the advice they give me is, you know, keep practicing, keep on, you know, staying on the wards, getting that clinical experience. And eventually things start clicking where you're almost on automatic mode and uh, you have that clinical acumen and now you start actually problem solving. And that's when medicine really starts getting beautiful instead of, you know, thinking back to, as you said, the first basic things like how to do an exam or how to take a history. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's something that I, it, like, I think a lot of med students, including myself, go through it all the time. We, we look at regs and consultants and they just seem to know everything. And you think, man, am I ever going to know that much information? Like, you know, there's some things I can remember, some things I can't. And in the heat of the moment, am I going to actually be able to recall that stuff? So I think it's really good to hear something like that. A bit more reassuring, I think, on a med student front for me because I think it's such a normal thing to have this imposter syndrome being being part of the, the med, the med, the med uh, group. On that note, uh, the imposter syndrome thing doesn't go away. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, like, you know, when you're in your sort of junior years, you often sort of hang out with your regs a bit and then, and then, off, and then when you're sort of regging, you're working really closely with your consultants. And it's been interesting to learn that, you know, the consultants that I work with also are still figuring things out, still, still, still wondering whether they should, you know? So it's, it's, um, and I think when you, you know, I think it's good to normalize it, I think, to normalize these feelings that everyone is having. And, and by opening up that conversation between us, we can, try and share the load of those insecurities and share the load of those stresses because it's doing it alone and feeling isolated, which can really lend people into a, into a negative light. So um, I guess in terms of like sort of the things that, that I found stressful as a junior doctor and still do, I guess, is um, um, uh, the, you know, organisation would be something that I, that I'm constantly working on. And it's something that I continually have, changing and and developing and i guess my advice there and that's and that's the thing that a lot of my other friends have as well it's just like you know time management and organization becomes becomes a big part of your life really and i guess my main advice there would be you know this is advice that i got was you know find a system that works for you and stick to it um i think sometimes people get a bit jumbled when they sort of like start trying to emulate every single doctor that they hang out with and kind of like changing what they're doing completely. Um, that can be a bit disrupting. Um, so, and then I guess the other thing is, is, you know, the, the, especially on, you know, a lot of the shift work, um, uh, uh, uh rotations, um, and, and things where there's, you know, you, sleep can become a problem for people and um it's you know it's 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 no wonder why you know rates of depression are higher in doctors i, mean, I think it's you know three or four percent which is which is which is you know uh, less than the national population but um 
you know, we know that when people's sleep is disrupted and they have less sleep, that people's mood goes down. It's like a very close relationship. You can always plot it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so yeah, organisation and sort of managing your sleep was a thing that I, that I was sort of focusing on. Yeah, and that's that's something I wanted to also kind of find out more about was with your actual life now uh, being a doctor, how how is your hours of sleep like typically in the week? How many hours do you you aim to get, and do you actually achieve that throughout the week? Um, uh, I mean, I guess if I'm if I'm if I'm very honest, um, I'm, now I'm in the world of psychiatry. It's a bit it's a bit things are usually wait till the next day next day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but when I was when I when I was on uh, shift work in ED and, um, you know, when I was on surgery, you know, those, those are the rotations where you have to sort of look out for your sleep. And um, I think it was that, you know, if I came home and I went straight to sleep, uh, you know, I was getting enough sleep, but it was just the, you know, you, you finished work and you wanted to do something, you wanted to see people, you wanted to, you know, um, do something to just to, 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 that's separate to work, you know. And so that's what would sort of sometimes end up with you. You know, you want to wind, you want to wind down for an hour or two mm-hmm. after, you know, you don't want to go straight home and go to bed. Um, yeah. I think that now, as you say, I think there's always going to be those rotations which sleep is difficult and you just have to sort of learn a way to manage that. Um, um you know it's interesting you look at the 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 residency program for surgical for surgical trainees was designed i think in john hopkins university in the States. Yeah. You probably heard i don't know if you That's heard right. you know, yeah the person that they laid they later realized was just just bumping cocaine the whole yeah time. <laughs> i got that from the book um why why we sleep yes um, yeah with that that yeah that that um english english neuroscience yeah neuroscience yeah yeah so um and but it's funny that we still kept that same structure but um so yeah i guess i feel like i think i think you know there were times where i was getting less than you know the classic eight and sometimes it would be like five hours um and i think that you know i guess finding something that works for you i think if you if you're feeling like sleep is 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 really important for you and finding finding an area maybe that works for you for that reason. Some people don't need sleep. So definitely. Yeah. And uh, also speaking of uh, junior doctor life, uh, I have heard accounts of doctors like uh, Dr. Yumiko, who was working at Bankstown Hospital, and I think her blog post went viral where she discussed working, you know, hundred hour work weeks. And, um, you know, being unable to sleep and having to get hospitalized at the end of things. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you and your experiences being a junior doctor, you saw in maybe your peers around you? Or did you ever recall having weeks where you were worked insanely long hours and that took a toll on you? So it's, it's funny. It's, it's, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's accumulation of things I think can, can lead in terms of the long working days that can lead to, you know, our, our well-being being affected. So I think it's a combination of often it's sort of like over time, but then I remember myself feeling like, I, you know, I, I couldn't put down those hours because it kind of looked like, was it, did it make it look like I wasn't handling things? Or the, these are the anxious thoughts that I remember having, you know, mm. you, you're staying back till seven, like, you know, two hours after, two and a half hours after you're supposed to, 
finish and then you feel like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm not going to put it down on my timesheet. And then because it's sort of, it's all kind of, you wrap it all up into in, in, in your kind of um, ability to function, I guess. But when in, when in reality, everybody, you know, a lot of people are doing that and it's just hard, you know, there are just days where it's just friggin' busy and it's just, you know, a lot of pressure. And so, um, and so, Yes, you know, I, you know, definitely there will, you know, were, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think, I don't, I never got the uh, more than a hundred hours in a week. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's reassuring. Seven, you know, 70 hour work week was quite, you know, that was, that, 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 that came on the re- that happened quite regularly. Yeah. Um, and, um, so yeah, I think I think and I think whilst also a difficult thing, especially when you're junior years, is that you 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 sort of um, you assume that uh, you know it's you or I, I this is what I felt like you assume it's you and that's why you're staying late. And as you go further, you you people I think people start to like value their time more and like be a bit more firm with their time. Mm. So I guess that. I'd encourage that as well, I guess, for the people starting is to like, um, I think, you know, be, be quite honest with, with, um, you know, your edges and stuff and say, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying late and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to stay late um, because, you know, the RMOs and, and, and later um, often, often would, you know, say, oh, no, this is, you know, this is the time. They'll often set a time and then they leave. <laughs> you just yeah. do most things you can do the next day. You can, you know, you fit, you get better at it as well. You figure out what things you can move off to the next day. And so you get better at it. So, um, And it brings back that whole question about, you know, we used to read about it back in the early years of med school, about compassion fatigue. You worked at these kinds of hours. Um, you'll get to a point where, you aren't able to just, you know, understand and be compassionate towards your your patients just because you're unable to be compassionate to yourself even. So I think it makes a really, really good point that you said there, Lyndon, where you actually physically draw a line at a place and say, look, I'm going home at this point. I'm doing this because if anything, inadvertently, it makes you a better health professional because you're able to give that compassion to your um, to your to to your patients, you, you can't really be compassionate if you're not compassionate to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, uh, and not, not, uh, maybe moving on to something else. Um, like one way that I feel that you know, I think there are certain variables that we can change, and I think that you know, working long hours and everything is is, is it's always going to be difficult within this job, and and so you know, I think one thing I wanted to talk about was that, you know, like we all have this sort of, um, you know, some people call it your sensorium or your level of brain functioning or like your threshold to deal with stress. And, and that's all wrapped up within, you know, your sense of well-being and your, and, 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 and your mood, right? And so, you know, um, we know that, you know, certain things can really, really negatively affect that sort of threshold to, to deal with stress, you know, um, um, you know, poor sleep's one of them. And, and one, the thing I kind of wanted to talk about then or now was about, um, uh, you know, there, there's a, a, 
a man that works a lot in sort of well-being and, and spheres called Russ Harris, and he's written he's written this book called The Happiness Trap. Um, he sort of developed, um, you know, acceptance, acceptance and commitment therapy, and 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 um, one of the things that he talks about, which I particularly latched onto, that I and I quite like to focus on, um, is you know trying to divide your life up into like, into like a, n- a number of pillars and trying to like identify like what are your values and what, and what, um, you know, brings you well-being. And, you know, and he, he, he sort of makes like a, like a sort of a mind map of, of these values. And I, <laughs> I just have mine on my fridge. So when I open my fridge in the morning, I can like have a look at it and see if I've been neglecting any of them. Um, and like some of them are, you know, some of them are, more relevant to us than others so you know and like they consist of um so leisure um uh work uh spirituality um parenting uh family relationships intimate relationships social relationships um and the idea being that if you and you know personal growth and then you know community involvement and so the idea being that if you try and spread yourself across like multiple domains, if one happens to fall over, your life doesn't doesn't end. Yeah. I think that's one thing that that I know I did at one point. I know a lot of my friends, you know, work you know working have done and 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 I think have since been moving. Out of that, I, I, I have felt much better. You know, I think a lot of doctors do, they, they put a, like their whole identity and their life in medicine. And I think that that is a, puts a, like a real, you know, a real risk for things falling over. Hey, I mean, you know, like one thing I like to tell my friends that, you know, I like, you know, I like painting or I like making music and, you know, one of the pastimes is I like doing medicine. And, you know, that, it, it, and, and by doing that inadvertently, I think, and keeping those pillars kind of, kind of, kind of fulfilled, you know, my, I think my threshold for dealing with stress has become a lot better. And like my ability to deal with something, you know, those long hours have been better. And um, it's just interesting how our mindset can really, really change our experience of like difficult working conditions and the the nature of junior doctoring yeah yeah i've actually heard this i've heard this advice quite a lot and i think it's one of the most profound pieces of advice i've received uh in medical school i remember my phase three uh head convener brought up you know one of the key things you need to do for your well-being is to have an identity out of medicine and i think i've kind of latched onto that idea and made sure that I have other things going on with my life. So in the event that, you know, if I fail an exam or if I don't pass uh, or get into a particular, especially I don't want to, um, then, you know, my life isn't over and I have other things to fall back on that make me who I am. Sonny, you were saying? Yeah, no, I was saying the exact same thing. I think first year, the minute we got into med school, one of the first things we got told was if someone asks you, who are you? Your answer shouldn't be, I'm Dr. So-and-so because you're more than just your profession your profession is one part of your life but it's it's almost just like the the example we got was really um really cool they they said if you similar to your pillar concept if if you've got a cake you can yeah you need all these different ingredients in to make this cake and uh at the end of it you know a bit of sugar a bit of egg a bit of 
uh, baking powder, all of this stuff to make it good. If anything is lost in that cake, in that making process, it loses kind of texture, it loses flavor, it loses the sweetness in it. So that's life too. And if you're just banking on one thing, you're going to have a very boring cake to work with. Whereas if you're, if you're, if you've um, really branched yourself out and your identity is mixed in with so many things and it's just so uniquely you, like irreplaceably you, then it just adds to your quality of life and it makes you inadvertently a better doctor because you want to come to work. You want to help people. So no, I, I think it's like an advice that I got, I got told as well first year right in that, you know, when someone asks you who you are, you're more than just doctor so-and-so. Yeah, I guess if you can't get access to your wheat flour, there's always gluten-free cakes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who can't actually see, um, Lyndon, your your background, uh, we brought this up earlier, is actually, it's, it's amazing and it's creative. You know, there's a lot of things going on. You've got a surfboard, you've got guitars, you've got... Uh, artworks, and I guess that just really showcases how much you do outside of, of medicine. And I guess it'd be great if you could tell us a bit more about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think, I and mean, I think, you know, everybody, I think why maybe I sort of said it generally in terms of sort of what Russ Harris talks about, because I think that people can take those points and find what, you know, really helps them better. Um, you know, I know that. But I guess in my experience, you know, I things that really helped my well-being was having a lot of kind of hobbies and interests outside of work. And it's interesting, like that kind of time management um, uh, side of things that really that did change that. And I think it's about being like adapting your hobbies and pastimes to fit the work that you do. So um, an example example for me was that you know you know yes I I, I used to surf quite a lot. Um, and, but I was finding that, you know, it wasn't a schedulable thing, you know, I'd have a day off randomly and there would be no surf. And then I'd just continuously be letting down my friends going to work, go surfing and I, I couldn't do that. And so I kind of, you know, I adapted it. And so I started, you know, doing more drawing and, 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 and actually ended up like carrying around a little notebook with me that I could do, you know, if I had 10 minutes spare here, I could do, I could work on like a design that I was working on. Um, and by like, you know, by making my, a lot of my interests like schedulable and doable in small amounts of time and portable, you know, I was able to like maintain my, you know, well-being and, and passion for things in amongst work and it meant that work could be hectic and I could still feel I could still feel my like kind of hobbies cup as it were um so I guess uh as you say yeah I mean more recently I've been doing a lot, a lot of painting I really like painting outside <laughs> me and my housemate going uh uh often on a day that we have off we often have the same day off we'll go for a paint outside somewhere which sort of links links everything together in terms of Bit of painting, bit of nature. Nature's good for us. Um, but it's, yeah, no, sort of sure. sized hobbies is really a good suggestion I'd have for you, yeah. For sure. No, I think we tend to forget that we're always, if, if life is like 100% a circle, pie chart, all of our activities take up certain amounts of percentages in it, but we're always in a dynamic process where these are dynamically changing and evolving and, you know, sometimes we spend 30% of time to something, but sometimes we'll only be able to spend 10%. And I think 
when we start getting into the nitty gritty of micromanaging that, we'll start to say, why am, why am I not able to attend to this 30% of the time? Why am I only doing 10%? And if you start focusing on that and forgetting that we're in a dynamic balance of where we're evolving and changing and adapting to life and all the external things that hit us, we're always reforming and adapting and reacting to it. So I think it's very important, like you said, Lynn, to consider that you might not be able to get to everything, every single point at every single point in your life, but just knowing that you're in a dynamic balance where you're equally allocating time for yourself is, is more than enough. And I think we tend to forget that a lot. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, I think, you know, sure, you know, my idea of having some hobbies is for me, but, you know, for a lot of people, it's, you know, it's more in the kind of social relationship section that they really get a lot of their well-being from and you know trying to balance that in amongst work and you know i've got had friends that have tried to get around that by like right having starting a book club together and they like meet up online so they can do it anywhere from where they are depending on which like rotation or network they're assigned to um and you know or maybe you know um, like i mean i guess for me the main ones out of that list are probably um, oh, so that's right. So I remember I was finding it really hard to fit in like some of those health related things like exercise. And I was like, you know, I'd come home from work and I'm friggin' knackered. And the last thing I want to do is like go and go and get more knackered. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds rational. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, and I kind of, I realized that the only way that I was able to get, you know, exercise in, which is, you know, and, and I, I, I do it from a mental health perspective, really, I, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't really play sport anymore. So I don't, I don't have a need to be fit, I guess. But, um, yeah. but, you know, I, the right, I, I realized the only way that it worked for me is that if I did like a very small amount of exercise, not very, you know, not, <laughs> not cardio, but like resistance stuff, but in the morning for like 10 minutes, like 10 minutes, like no more, but like every morning, that and like that way I could like get it in and at least if like the day went a bit hectic I could at least be like oh I did my exercise this morning so that's good <laughs> um so again yeah I think you know well I that there was the um times times magazine I think in the term of the, the millennium I think coined the most uh useful value for the next century was would be adaptability <laughs> adaptability 100% and just just on another note, um, Linda, I wanted to ask you what what do you think the culture is like now in terms of uh, the approach to mental health in junior doctors and you know uh, young regs that are new into their training? What do you think the culture is like now in medicine? I think that I think that we still have a ways to go. I mean, I I can only really talk about maybe working down in Tasmania, but as I haven't heard of the attention that sort of some in some other countries that they put towards this. So, you know, like I know that in Spain, in some of the places there, they have mandatory catch-up groups that the trainees go to where they talk about, they debrief about stuff from the week. And it's sort of, it's like worked in and sort of hours are put aside for that activity as an activity. And I think that is something that needs to happen here in Australia. I think, you know, the colleges need to put time aside specifically for, you know, well-being and mental health within our training. So 
Um, I think that, yes, it is. it has definitely improved compared to, you know, decades ago. Um, you know, people don't... Um, colleges a lot more adapt are a lot more adaptable to people that are struggling with mental health issues and you know changing the the their program to be part-time if it needs to be and you know and and so they have come along they have come a long way um but i think i think there is always i think there's definitely room for this to you know to be to be fleshed out more yeah yeah for sure pretty what what are you what are you thinking as well you any thoughts on this as well yeah, no, I think one a recent initiative uh, that occurs in one of Sydney's hospitals, and this is I think between the trauma and palcare teams, is uh, I think they have monthly catch-ups where even from the consultant all the way to uh, medical students can join. And in this meeting, they don't talk about it's they don't talk about necessarily the case, the medical facts, but they talk about how that case or that patient passing away made them feel, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was talking to the director of trauma regarding this and she was saying that, you know, it was one of the, one of the best things to do and see, to see that even consultants find it quite unsettling and confronting when patients pass. And, you know, when they, you know, reveal their emotions and express themselves kind of opens it up and makes it very normal to talk about, you know, mental health um, on the job. So I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. And you're right, Prizzy. I think it's so important now to like you said what you were saying then to normalize that it's all right to you know not have everything in order as even as a young doctor there's always this expectation from your consultants that you need to know everything and all but the minute you can talk to a consultant and even know that a consultant can feel bad about a patient passing or you know can feel bad about the outcome of a case and you can have that freedom to admit that you're not really feeling 100 percent either mm-hmm. like being able to normalize it, I think, really creates a cultural shift in the field itself because there are so many doctors that I've heard from as well that would say, look, I'm not feeling 100%, but I have to look like I'm having 100% at work. I can't admit to my consultant that I'm not uh, able to be 100% at work and there's other things on my mind because it's almost frowned upon is what doctors were, young doctors would tell me. And I think being able to find a way in which we can normalize and say, look, everyone is kind of working through their own battles kind of thing is just so important and can really potentiate a great cultural shift in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's all, it's, it's all a language, isn't it? You know, talking, talk, getting used to talking about your emotions and voicing out to someone, you know, if, if it's something that you're not used to doing, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, you know, and, and it's um, something that, that, that that people sometimes you know don't really engage with until all of a sudden they're working as a junior doctor you know and you know like so like I often like to tell um you know colleagues and and and, and, and friends that you know like you know I, I I like to see a psychologist as a pro in a, in a prophylactic manner almost like I I, I I go to psychologists when I'm feeling well and sort of talk about some of the things that has been going on and, 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 and seeing if they have any, you know, any other sort of, you know, um, turning points, some, you know, coping strategies, if anything's, you know, anything could be done a little bit better or, or just, just reflecting on things. And, you know, it's like, you know, we, 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 we do, you know, preventive medicine is, 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 is massive in all other areas. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why, 
I think that's something that needs to change, I think, in the mental health world as well. I think we're still very much on the, okay, let's wait until it's all gone wrong and then let's try and fix it, you know. Um, um, and so I guess that would be, you know, that would be a suggestion as well. You know, if you don't have a GP, get a GP. If you don't have a mental health care plan, get a mental health care plan. You get 10 free sessions with a psychologist. You get another 20 if you go and ask again and put yourself on an on a on a, on a list to, for it because the waiting times are, are shit as well. The, yeah. Okay. yeah. You, you literally brought up one of my uh, New Year's resolutions for this year, which was uh, I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, going to a psychologist uh, should be kind of seen like servicing a car, um, just going for a routine checkup, just seeing how things are and uh, debriefing. And I kind of, one of my goals this year was to to regularly see a psychologist and, you know, discuss my feelings, thoughts, mm. and um, how I'm doing with things in life in general. Absolutely. It's all about developing that language, as I was saying, you know, getting used to, and then if you get you, and sometimes, sometimes going to a psychologist for a lot of people is the first time they really do talk about that sort of thing. And so, I mean, how... You know, if, and if that's if that's a window that opens you up to then you know feeling comfortable talking to some of your colleagues about it all, then that's a great outcome. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually just remember a, remembered a conversation I was having with a friend of mine uh, in med school, and they were saying, "Look, um, nothing's going." Uh, they were saying, "Oh, look, I'm going to go see a psychologist." And I said, "Look, is everything okay?" And they said, "Yeah, yeah, everything's fine." Um, but I just know that at some point this year, everything's not going to be fine, and I'm going to find myself in mountains and mountains of work and, you know, social relationships might, might, might tamper, whatever. I, I might find myself in a situation and I've just booked myself in for 10 sessions just to see if I can get the tools that I need. Then when shit goes to, to, to hell, that I'll be able to at least uh, be able to handle it, that I'll have those tools ready at my arsenal to go, go ahead and do it. So I, I, I echo everything both you and Prisby are saying with, you know, just yeah, going in and getting your, getting, getting your car service to almost be like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, you know, I think we spoke about it just, you know, briefly at the beginning of this, you know, our ability to, uh, you know, uh, you know, critically problem solve and um, handle things in terms of our threshold is lower when our mental health is poor. So, you know, why why would you choose then to then sort of learn about your cope, you know, learn about coping strategies and learn about, you know, learn, learn you know, ways to get through these difficult times um, rather than, you know, practice it, as you say, when you're well, your threshold is better, you can do it properly. And then when everything does fall apart, you know, you're ready, you know. So I guess the question, question that I have and um, I think a lot of uh, listeners might have as well is, so to actually go to the GP to get a mental health care plan, uh, you don't need to be uh, necessarily depressed or have any existing mental illness. Is that right? No, I mean, no. So you can go to get a mental health care plan um, with, I mean, we've all got sort of, you know, personality traits, and um, uh, I think that on the mental health care plan document, I think they do have to put a diagnosis. But I think that you know everybody has anxiety, and everybody can get a diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so it's it's never an issue. I think I think um, I think that 
yeah, that's never been an issue. And I think if that was, if that did become an issue, then I think that would be another kind of, that's a political, that's a political, uh, <laughs> political thing to go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I guess yeah. one thing I also wanted to ask you, Lyndon, was uh, you mentioned uh, in medical school, you initially wanted to do surgery and that was uh, around what your honours was also um, based upon. Uh, what made you switch to psychiatry from surgery? And uh, yeah, how's that been? So I think, and I think, you know, my experience is obviously specific to me and I know a lot of my friends that have pursued surgery and, and are, you know, and, and enjoying it and it's a great career if that's what, if, 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 if that's what you, uh, if, that, if, if it works. Mm. I think, um I think it, I came to a realisation in, I think, my in, intern year um, when uh, I think I, I just, I just, I realised that it just wasn't going to be f- for me in terms of the work-life balance for me. So, I, you know, I, I, I knew, I know that I knew that um, I, I had quite a lot of things I liked to do outside of, you know, work. And the kinds of things I liked to do um, required a certain amount of time. And so um, in my head, you know, I wanted to, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of my, yeah, a lot of my hobbies take quite a lot of time. And so it was just not going to work physically. It just wasn't going to like <laughs> logistically work for me to try and do everything at once. Um, and but also, I think my idea of what surgery was was going to be like, I think, was a bit different to the reality that I realised. I think, in terms of, um, um, I you know, I always like doing things with my hands, and I thought that was you know a, a natural kind of area within medicine for me to go into. Um, and uh, but I think the culture within surgery takes a particular kind of personality type, and I think I had some sort of you know some some trays and maybe didn't work didn't work within that environment so i think it's yeah it's a thing it's the, the question of finding what you want to do and what works for you is like a whole nother thing and you know doesn't have to be speedy people take time i know an rmo that was an rmo for 12 years before he decided what he wanted to do um so I think that's it. I think you got to, I think that's part of why a lot of people sometimes choose what they do because it, 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 you know, it fits with, with their um, well-being and what they, and how they live, you know? So um, that's what I'd say on that note, I think. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. And we can make a whole episode about, you know, trying to find and navigate your way through what you want to do med school and uh, specialty training and how to choose what's for you. And I think that's a whole other episode in itself, but I was thinking Lyndon, because we're almost getting to the end on time, but I was thinking um, if, if you were to summarize some tangible things for the people, the, the, the uh, viewers that uh, are in med school or very young in their training or, what what are kind of some key tangible takeaways they can take in terms of what they can do to best manage their mental health through what is a really grueling process of training to be a doctor or being a specialist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So I guess one would be to get a piece of paper, write down those things that Russ Harris talks about and try and, and those are just in case you've forgotten 
leisure, health, work, community involvement, family relationships, intimate relationships, social relationships and spirituality. So write those down and just see whether you're, you know, if there's any of those that you're neglecting and then make an action on that. The other thing would be, you know, simple things work. And 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 always happen, but sometimes but it's easy to overlook them. So, you know, eat eat well. Try and find a way to get some exercise in a way that works for you and your schedule. Because um, those are just, those are like easy, low hanging fruit that can that can, that that are that are you know that are gonna make you feel better. And then the third one would be yeah, get a GP, get them at a health. You know, see a psychologist. You know, learn some strategies for because it's going to get. It, 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 there are going to be tough moments ahead, and it, you know, if you go in there with this arsenal of tools, as you say, it, you know, it, it's going to make it a lot better for you. And fourth thing would be, it gets better. It gets better. It gets easier each year that you do medicine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you so much, Lyndon. Thank you, thank you so much. I've definitely picked out some new things, especially the pillars idea. I've never seen it that way, and I think I'm I'm eager to write the, all of this down and stick it on my fridge as well. So yeah, dude, same. I'm I'm literally gonna watch the end of this, listen to the end of this podcast again and, and take some notes. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. But um, Lyndon, thank you so much um for taking the time out of your out of your day to be with us and have a chat about this stuff. We really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure our audience appreciates this as well. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me on here to talk about this well, issue that I'm so passionate about. So doing doing great things. You're doing very well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And Prithvi, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, that's a wrap. <laughs>